hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. No better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar series. And Alex Malone is the NTT IndyCar champion. Thank you so much. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. No matter whether it's a street circuit, a road course, a super speedway, or a small oval, it's fantastic, and there's more to come in 2022. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. IndyCar Nation, boy, were we treated to an exciting qualifying weekend. Hi, everyone. Jack Arood along with Tony Kanan, who, oh, by the way, bore out the old adage that age and treachery wins out over youth and enthusiasm as he will start the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 from the outside of row number two, or TK, as I like to call row two, the geriatric brigade. <laughs> well, I would kind of like to call the experience parade. All right. But, uh, yeah. Like what, what a weekend, not just for me, but uh, for my team, I have to say. Five cars in the fast 12. Jimmy Johnson with the most amazing car control I've seen in years. And what a great show for the fans. I don't know what you talk about it, but, um, you know, uh, a lot of critique before they announced that with, you know, oh, tradition here, tradition there, we're doing this. And I have to say, for the people that were here, everybody loved it, so... I think anybody that watched it, the NBC coverage was outstanding. Uh, the, certainly the excitement. And one of the things that was just phenomenal from my standpoint is more extensive use of the in-car camera, because let's face it, I was, I was thinking back to when I first started in the early, early, early eighties, when we were still taping the show and airing it the night before the qualifications weekend, uh, 10 miles, four laps was a little boring when you only got to see the high shots, but when you watched and it was, uh, look, I've been there for a long time, TK, as you have, but I learned something new and that's with this new technology and everything that you have for onboard tools and just the way you've got to go back and forth between fifth and sixth, changing the weight jacker and trying to compensate during those four laps. I just, I get done with it. And especially like your case, when you didn't have, in your first qual run sim, you didn't have the luxury of all the, the dash, we call it, but the tie in with the, the steering wheel, or even when Scott Dixon was out there at those speeds, you've got so much to do these days. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Bear with me, you guys can count. We have two up shifts per lap, one per straightaway. Then you have click the weight jacker once to go all the way to the right. And then you have to know what number you want to the next corner. And you have a shift knob with a number that increase or decrease from zero to plus 35 and from zero to minus 35. Then you get to the corner and you press it again. So that's twice a straightaway. You have few mixtures with the power that you increase in the power every run. So you go from one to two to three to four. So one each lap. And you have a low downforce driving at almost 240 miles an hour top speed uh, for four laps. So uh, it's, um, it's busy. Oh, that's an understatement. Let's talk a little bit about your teammate Scott Dixon's run, because we were treated earlier in the week when uh, Connor Daly, uh, you know, 
took advantage of that foul weather in those 30 mile an hour gusts to uh, log on what I think indicated to us what we were going to expect come Sunday after the field was willowed down when he clocked one in a top terminal velocity of 244.4 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, when you uh, in gasoline alley and all the drivers, when they heard about that trap speed in that weather, now I understand with a tailwind, it was perfect. So going into turn three, but I got to think that got all of yours attention. Yeah, I mean, and we're feeling it. I mean, in the back stretch, we were two gears, three gears, and then the yes. engine couldn't stop pulling. So it was amazing to see. Obviously, uh, you know, I don't want to brag about it, but I'm on the air of the 1,000 horsepower. We we averaged 241 average in Fontana. So it was just, for me, it was just back like the old days. But for some of the guys, we're like, wow, we're going like for Jimmy, for instance, Jimmy never had gone this fast. And uh, he was, everybody was very impressed. Yeah. I, when you think about it, probably when the Brickyard was uh, contested on the two and a half mile oval, maybe the top speed in qualifying would be what, 180. Let's just take that for an example. So that 233, I'm no math major, but you know, you're talking about almost half as fast 1.5 times faster and you're a lot lower to the ground and that save by jimmy johnson look regardless of what may happen during the course of the of the 200 laps and the 500 miles jimmy johnson certainly has proved to everybody fans competitors alike that he not only deserves to be at the indianapolis motor speedway but you've got to put him in that contenders category because drivers don't win the Indy 500 Indy chooses a driver and stranger things have happened, but going back to Dixie for just a second, mm -hmm. how much do you think his record setting pole speed of 233.716 was a direct result of the luxury of having his four fellow teammates and right from the get-go, you all set out, had an agenda, didn't allow weather to dictate things. You just kind of continued to check your boxes. And then when it counted, it was almost as if all of you peaked at exactly the same time. I mean, when was the last time that one team, it was down to Ganassi and ECR in the top six. In yeah. all of the cars in the top 12 for Ganassi, that's unheard of with a five-car operation. Yeah, Jack, I mean, it's easy to brag about it after the fact but you know one thing that people don't realize it's like how well executed it was and to win this to win the poll um to win this 500 you have everything needs to go right nowadays you can't say uh i think those days that uh, dario had a problem in the first stop and drops to 35th and then to sorry, even, even montoya's last win right remember I he mean, took the tail end off of the car came into the pits very early on, came back to win it. Those right. days I, have gone the way of the rotary phone, my friend. I, I believe that. I'm not yeah. saying it's ever going to happen again, but they're very unlikely. Uh, look what happened to me last year. Me and Dixon last year, we got left out in the first yellow. We were running one, two, and we never recovered. So as a team, we came out to put five cars in the top six. We did not succeed by doing that, but we put five cars in the top 12. To answer your question, 
it was Dixon because it was Dixon. But the last guy qualifying the team that was going to be in that position was always going to benefit from the teammates. Mm -hmm. And the first guy was going to be the guinea pig, which was you. (laughs) That's right. Um, But that is how this team works. And that's how, if you guys watch the broadcast, Jimmy and I at start finish line clapping for Dixon. That's how Chip got us and hugged all of us at start finish line. That's what we have. And that's, I mean, 90% of the people appreciate and thought that was really cool. 10% of the people says, oh, look at these people out there. He cannot be happy for his teammate. And, you know, and, and we are. Um, we are one team. Of course, I want to win. And, of course, I'm going to give Dixon and Palu and all these guys a run for their money when the green flag drops on Sunday. But, you know, what we achieved, we made history, Jack. It's one of those things that, for me, late in my career, achieving this kind of things, those special moments is what I try. It's what I'm going to take. Yes. Did I want to be on the pole? Of course. Who didn't? But coming from a one-off with a team that is a dream team, Jack, I mean, if you look at my guys, man, they're actually better than some of my teammates that do a full-time because we're able to pick and choose who was available and we put it in that car. So remarkable job by Scott. But every car that ran in that team came and said, you can take a little bit more out. Then the second car went, can take a little bit more out. And then you got Dixon that got all of it. And then he deserved it. He put himself in that position. Let's talk a little bit about some of the underachievers in qualifying. Uh, certainly what befell Colton Herta when uh, on his qualifying effort on day one with the engine giving up. Uh, uh, Team Penske, I was very surprised that it was Will Power and that was it. But how much of it, TK, pull the curtain back. How much of it is that, you know, when you get there to Indy, you start to come to the realization that what can I dial out? How fast can I actually go? And it looked to me like outside of ECR, Renus and uh, Ed, Chevrolet had a good two-lap engine, but uh, didn't have the repeatability in those last two laps. And Honda did their homework. So when, when you look at it, Penske, Team Chevrolet, get it. I'm still somewhat befuddled by the performance of Andretti Autosport. When you have your rookie, the only one that makes it into the top 12, uh, Roman Grosjean, if you're Michael Andretti, I think he and the engineering staff there for Andretti Autosport have been burning the midnight oil, starting with the gun going off on Saturday. I don't know about the engine, Jack. I think it's more about the balance of the car on okay. the four laps, but you could be right. There's so many factors that made this qualifying what it was. And um, it's not just about the preparation, having fast cars. It's where you draw. It was Colton having an engine issue that I think it would have actually put him in the contention. But then I have to say, us as a team, let's talk about Ganassi. Everything went right for us. Yeah. Draw. You know, we chose different downforce levels to be in the top 12, and we put all the cars there because we draw different times. Uh, Ericsson was really late, but with my run, I had more downforce than a couple of my teammates. And I said to Ericsson, keep it because it's going to be hotter. You're going to be good. So I think it's not just the preparation leading into the qualifying. It's actually the decisions that you make the day you draw, which is Friday night and the day of qualifying. So 
look at me. I didn't even run in the morning. With I ran in the morning two laps with no dash just to get myself saying, okay, I'm not going to go out blind as far as a car balance. So I think some of these teams probably got antsy and made the wrong decisions. Easy for me to say because we, I could have been sitting here and say we made the wrong decision. And I can sit here and say I made the wrong decision for the fast six because it was getting cooler, but we decided not to take down force off. And with that, actually trigger what it did to have, you know, two cars in the front row. So it was more the decision-making than actually the preparation of these teams that they lack anything to come to the 500. I think they had fast cars, but they didn't execute as well as we did. It's a 500-mile race. I won from 12. But, you know, the way that the, the races are going nowadays, they made their lives a little bit more difficult than ours. Listen to my partner, just sloughing off the fact that a trap speed of 240 miles an hour with a blank dash didn't affect him at all. Going old school, Tony Kanan, 20-year veteran. He just went out there and says, no problem. I'll fly without instruments. I love it. All right, a little bit later in the show, we're going to visit with the pole sitter and your teammate, Scott Dixon, and we'll also project forward between now and Sunday, the preparation for guys like you, Dixie, and the rest. And uh, I'm also going to have an opportunity to um, let our listeners listen to a very special segment of a special edition of my podcast because I'm still holding out. I'm only going to invite you next week after you win the Indy 500. But as your compadre, Elio Castroneves, goes in his drive for five, a disappointing qualifying effort, Loved his line that the gap between stupidity and smartness was a very, very narrow gap and somewhere he was living in the middle, um, way in the back of the field, but don't count him out. 500 miles, 800 turns, 200 laps. It's a long way. And we certainly have seen that before, but up next, I had an opportunity to chat with the uh, IndyCar series CEO, Mark miles and Eric Clark, you know, Eric very well. Uh, TK as uh, part of the NTT data services. And uh, they've got some new things that they're introducing starting at this weekend's Indy 500. We'll get to that right after we take this time out. Quick pit stop. And then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's brick by brick. We're hitting the apex to bring you the hottest news from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Well, joining us now, the Chief Digital Officer, Eric Clark, alongside Penske Entertainment President and CEO, Mark Miles. And gentlemen, you uh, have uh, come to uh, fruition something that we were on top of here on Brick by Brick from the NTT side of things. And I used the term some incredible data and insights that uh, you're going to be able to, to utilize not only for the racers themselves and their teams, but most importantly for the fans. Let's start with you, Eric. And can you give us in layman's terms what we're talking about with this new technology? Yeah, thank you, Jack. We're really excited about this. And, you know, data has been has become such an essential part of sports in general. And with the NTT IndyCar series, we this opportunity to bring more data, put it at not only the hands of the race team so that they can make in-race decisions, 
but also make it available for fans. They can see the data that our race teams are using to make these decisions real time. And, and Mark, this has been kind of a, an ultimate goal of IndyCar for a number of years. And I say ultimate goal of giving a, shall we say, a stake in the fan nation, feeling like they have uh, some insight or that at least IndyCar is going to pull the carton back and expose who really the Wizard of Oz is. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one way to think about it. Absolutely, though, the premise is right. We have for years believed that I really think uh, IndyCar racing motorsport may be a unique environment in terms of the relevance of data, the amount of data we have. And so to be able to partner with NTT and to turn all these tables of data into content that fans can absorb and that give them the opportunity to understand things better and, and be more deeply engaged in, in a race uh, is something we, we love. It helps us, uh, I think, deepen the engagement of existing fans, but it also, we think, is going to be particularly appealing for younger fans, and that's also part of our growth strategy going forward. There's no question, Eric, that uh, the, the young group, and I can't even say the X generation anymore, but potentially uh, young fans are totally infatuated by data. So is there anything that you as NTT feel you're obligated to do? And I, I guess the term would be, do you dumb it down or do you make it enticing so that they see almost the exact same stuff in terms of predictive and artificial intelligence? that the strategists see on top of their box? That's a great question, Jack. You hit on exactly um, one of the major things we talked about is how do we get the best use of the data? And when you talk about the data, Mark mentioned the, the volume of data. We've got more than 140 sensors on every car sending us data constantly throughout the race. So we will collect more than 8 billion data points during the Indy 500. So you combine that with what we have from future uh, past races and past years and we are able to make predictions, and that's how we make it interesting to race fans that are diehard fans as well as newer, younger fans. Not only do we give them the data so that they can look at it and see what they think is going to happen, but we use it to make predictions and tell them what we think is going to happen. We're seeing that more and more, Mark, as we continue our conversation with Mark Miles, the CEO of Penske Entertainment, and NTT's Chief Digital Officer, Eric Clark, here on Brick by Brick. Mark, we see it more and more in sports that introducing predictive software in many, many ways really draws the fans in more so than maybe during your generation or my generation when we listened to John Madden tell us what we're about to see in a football game. Now it's carrying that great book, Moneyball, to the ultimate extreme. And I, I, I'm kind of wondering, was this the partnership when NTT came on board as the title sponsor of the series that you you saw this as a, a great opportunity to work hand in glove with somebody and have them have a, a stake in developing all of this? Yes. The basic premise, the foundation for our, our corporate relationship with NTT is that they can bring this value to the sport and really help us grow our fan base and more deeply engage our fans. I think of it as an evolution, but NTT is really causing, causing the trajectory to change dramatically. I remember going to baseball games with my father, and he would take a transistor radio. Yeah. So there already was a, a desire to uh, 
to get more than just what you're seeing at, at a live sporting event way back then. And that's getting to be a very long, obviously a long time ago, transistor radios. But now, you know, the, the possibilities for manipulating the data, organizing the data, packaging it so that it's really compelling entertainment as well as information and delivering on a number of devices is just uh, unrecognizable progress compared to my early days and taking in live sport. And NTT's proved to be a phenomenal partner in that regard, just the right partner for us in, in moving the needle. Eric, your core business is not consumer oriented. And I, and I wonder, is this maybe the only consumer directed initiative that NTT is engaged in? We actually do quite a bit in terms of sports sponsorship. So we are very into the things that our clients are into. And okay. we bring our clients to the races because we can tell them a story about how the digital twins that we built for these race cars so that we can make predictions about the cars, we can build the same digital twins for their um, manufacturing facilities or you know other things that they're trying to make predictions um, whether that be predictive maintenance or, um, or or anything else where we need to to help them make better decisions about how they run their business on a day-to-day basis. So while this is consumer-focused, we bring our clients to the race and help them understand how the investments in automation and, and analytics that we put into the NTT IndyCar series apply to their businesses. Mark, there's a lot of talk about what lies ahead for IndyCar, certainly riding a tsunami wave of popularity, both in viewership and in attendance. And having a partner like NTT, uh, how attractive has that made the IndyCar series for, let's say, another manufacturer, engine manufacturer entering? Or let's say, as you continue to plot and chart the course going forward, with new venues and things of that nature, the, the proactive side of the business that you've been put in charge of having a, a technical giant that can be on cutting edge analytics and artificial intelligence. How advantageous is that to uh, the IndyCar series? I think it's hugely important on all kinds of levels. You sort of touched on one of them, just the mere stature of, of NTT as a global leader. Uh, corporate global leader in and of itself is an endorsement at, at some level that uh, is important to us. Um, and then their ability to really propel us along the lines we've talked about, which is for fans in, in the ways we've talked about it, but also making the fan experience here at, in, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, better and avoiding issues. I, we haven't talked about it yet. But they are fans who come on for race day. And the fact that this year they'll be able to take advantage of the smart venue technology and and go to the uh, IMS app and understand better how to, how to manage the venue. It's a big place. 300,000 people will be coming in the gates on race day morning. And, you know, if, uh, if they can go to an app and see – that they'd be smarter to move one gate down because they could get in faster, then that's a real, it's not fan entertainment, but it's fan experience in a different way. And that's happening, by the way, for the first time that the work of the last year or so to develop the system will be directly applicable and available to fans. Uh, I've got to thank you very, very much for both of you taking a little bit of time to help our listeners here on Brick by Brick better understand what's on the horizon 
but most importantly, continue to accelerate the excitement for the NTT IndyCar Series. Eric Clark from NTT and Mark Miles from uh, Penske Entertainment, thanks so much for joining me here on Brick by Brick. Thanks for having us. When we return, we'll visit with the pole sitter for the 106th Indianapolis 500. Yes, that's right. Scott Dixon is in the house. And you'll get a little taste of my wind tunnel interview that dropped on Monday with the guy that's going for a club of one. Four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, Elio Castroneves. All that coming your way momentarily. Coming up next. Scott Dixon is a five-time Indianapolis pole winner. And he's done it in the fastest way. It's very impressive and uh, honestly impressive for the team. I think without Jimmy's hiccup, you know, it could have been all five of uh, Chip's cars in the fast six, you know. So uh, to try and do that alone is is, is crazy. But um, yeah, my last run actually was uh, probably the easiest run of the weekend. We're hitting the brakes, but we'll be back on track after this. Hi, it's Jack Aroot. I welcome you to embrace the power and speed of the NTT IndyCar Series here on Sirius XM. Each week at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC Sports Audio Channel 85, myself and former Indy 500 champion Tony Kanaan get you caught up with all the latest news and notes on Brick by Brick. Also, hear every race all season long on Sirius XM IndyCar Nation Channel 160. And, as always, on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. We're hitting the apex to bring you the hottest news from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is SiriusXM's Brick by Brick. Dixon grabs Indianapolis 500 pole position. Well, TK, we are now joined by the man of the hour after his incredible run this past weekend. He'll start the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 from the pin, the pole winner, and your teammate, Scott Dixon. You know what, Dixie? You made it really look easy, and I know it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess the man for the minute. You know, uh, that's the, the hard part is that it doesn't really guarantee you much at all. But, um, I, you know, first of all, and as TK knows too, and, and obviously huge kudos to TK for – stepping in and, and having a crack at the pole, you know, it was, uh, it was very impressive and, and uh, honestly impressive for the team. I think without Jimmy's hiccup, you know, it could have been all five of uh, Chip's cars uh, in the fast six, you know, so uh, to try and do that alone is, is, is crazy. But um, yeah, my last run actually was uh, probably the easiest run of the weekend. <laughs> the fans don't know how hard of a time you had on Saturday, right? So Explain for the people that don't understand that you almost didn't make the cut, right? I mean, we, we got, in a way, I think we kind of got lucky because of the weather. We didn't have a as, as smooth as a Saturday as we wanted it to have. Your car, I remember looking at you and you said, I have no idea why. I don't know. It's not pulling. So how does that affect you? I mean, I said to Lauren this. I said, look, I saw Dixie and the way he was sitting in the engineering room, and we are in trouble tomorrow so explain to the fans and actually even to me what did you do that night obviously we had dinner that night so i know what we did but uh, how did you use that on your favor for the next day you know yeah i think you know honestly we we kind of i think it was more of the situation that we didn't handle very well um 
I thought we were on a totally different downforce level than what I was told later in the day. And I think that was kind of, I got, I, I did get pretty mad about, you know, how we got ourselves into that hole. And, and you're right. You know, I think uh, we, we were 10th. Um, had the weather stay consistent, maybe we wouldn't have made it. You know, I think we were, we were, we were definitely right on the cusp there, but um, you know how it is, man. Like we always work hard and just trying to figure out. And, and luckily with four cars that were, were four other cars that were super fast to, you know, look at, you know, where was the best place to shift? You know, what was the most efficient thing to do? What was the best speed to go? You know, how to do your prep lap. Um, that is the great part. And because there were four other cars that had done such a great job, yourself included, um, you know, we could see that. So, yeah, I, I think it was just, I told Canon on Saturday, I was like, don't be a pussy, man, be aggressive. Like, let's be aggressive. <laughs> and uh, and I think we overstepped it a little bit. The, the last lap on that first, you know, fast 12 lap was was um, not very pretty and we lost about a mile an hour, but it still held up the average, you know. So, uh, and then with the, the fast six, we had, you know, obviously we're sitting in the, uh, the, the right seat there because we were going last. You know, again, I just told Ken and I was like, just make sure we're trim more than what we know where our teammates are at. And that's, and that's how it was. But TK, you know, man, it's, it's a roller coaster of emotions always, you know, considering the problems you had Sunday morning with your dash not working, the car not, you know, you, 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 were, you, were, you were driving around blind, man. He went old school on us, Dixie. He went old school. He I was did. waiting. I was waiting for Chip to just bring out a blackboard and put it out there in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you talk about aggressiveness. I've heard you quoted in several publications, and even uh, Lee Diffie mentioned, I believe that you know playing the waiting game for Scott Dixon the last couple of years, and be you know being known as the guy that can make fuel is not the way you want to approach this one. I'm going to paraphrase Scott Dixon, 2022 in the Indy 500 wants to lead. Am I onto something? Are you going to change your strategy a little? Uh, you know, I think you got to, you, you just got to be on your toes, right? Like you got to, you got to be uh, there to, to be able to change and, and, and just, you know, it's, 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 you can never go into the race really thinking about how it's going to go. You just, you just got to be able to, to move fluidly. And, and um, you know, last year, I think we kind of got a bit greedy, you know, we were trying to, you know, stretch that fuel window and we didn't need to, you know, we, we were going to go maybe a two or three laps longer. And, and yes, of course, over the, the, the consistency of the race, if you can keep doing that, you know, you eliminate a stop. Uh, but, you know, the, the chances of it staying green for that, you know, period of time um, are almost, you know, zero. So, yeah, it caught us out and, and uh, ultimately ran the car out of fuel and, and went two laps down, which, you know, that took us the whole day to just get back onto the lead lap. And, you know, we still ended up on a 17th or something like that. So it, uh, I think we will be, you know, aggressive and trying to stay at the front of the race. All of us, TK included, all of us will be, will be trying to lead, I think, early on, uh, but just not being super aggressive on trying to make the fuel windows bigger, I think, and, and just putting yourself in a slightly better situation. But obviously, you know, I get tired of hearing that for myself, but, you know, I think if I recall it right, um, this is probably the most difficult start of the season that you have. And then you always have this. Uh, that's something that I really admire on you. you, you I'm completely the opposite, right? You know, when I'm mad, you know, when I'm happy, I'll, I'll be throwing things and be like walking away. And Like, how are you taking, obviously, it, it's like not, again, we are one team, but I know that, you know, people so I say, well, look at this, look at Scott having that difficult year, blah, blah, blah. How, 
how do you try how do you filter that and just don't because i know it doesn't affect you at all um i i know you well enough to say this but how do you do you take it and obviously look at look at this one day you hold a record of the fastest qualifying indycar history at ims and now we're saying oh scott dixon is back i never doubt scott dixon and all that kind of stuff <laughs> how do you take that uh i don't know man i feel like it's just all noise you know like i i i i feel very lucky and very privileged i always say this to be doing what i'm doing man so i i love doing what i do um, I think the easiest thing for all of us is that, oh, you know, these guys are getting old, you know, that's what it comes back to. And oh, he's lost it, you know, but it, it, honestly, I don't really care what they think, man. I just, I want to race. I want to do my best. Yeah. We've had a, a slow start, but you know, I think a couple of the races, you know, Long Beach and, and Barber, there was just the car was, didn't have the right parts on it, you know, and, and you can't, you can't run situations like that with how tough the competition is right now. You know, you, you find yourself at the back of the pack. So, um, I don't know. I don't care. I, I, I just want to race, man. You know? You're cut out of the same swath of cloth for me. Yeah. I don't yeah. care anymore, Scott. Right? It's all noise. Yeah. All you need There's a lot do... of people that like to, to talk, you know, uh, BS, but that, that's fine. You know, that keeps them happy. You know? The one that I do know you listen to, and she does inspire you quite honestly, because she was an Olympic level athlete. I bet you when you screw up, when Emma comes up and points something out, you listen intently. Uh, yeah, most of the time, you know, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> perfect answer. Yeah, sometimes there's a bit of noise there as well, but, but most of the time, yeah. Um, you know, Emma's, you know, extremely competitive, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I've, you know, I've always said to her and Chip are probably the most two competitive people I, I've, I've ever known. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of layers to, you know, the process that we do. And I careful think now, uh, careful. Yeah, no, no, I mean, as I'm talking as, as the team, you know, the process and how things, one thing can alter many others. I think that's what she struggles with the most is that, you know, in her sport, she was the engine, right? She yeah. was able to make the decisions and know how it feels, you know? And then, and then for us, a caution comes out and you lose the race, you know, like it's, it's just, you know, the way she sees it can be a little bit different to, to us and that have raced in, you know, these situations for, for, for a lot of time, but no, I, Hey, trust me. I always listen. I always listen. Good answer. Good way to end it in case she does listen. Hey, <laughs> congratulations on the poll. Looking forward to catching up with you before the start of the 106th running of the Indy 500. And, um, well, I'll add you to my list, but TK has already told me that he's going to win this race this year. And we're going to, I don't doubt it, man. That. I don't doubt it. He's, uh, he's got a great car and a great team and I hope it's one of us, man. I really do. I really do. I would, if I can't win and, and TK wins, man, I'll be definitely super, super happy. One team, one goal. I get That's it. That's right. Scott, thanks so much. Good luck. Cheers guys get a little taste of my wind tunnel interview that dropped on Monday with the guy that's going for a club of one four time winner of the Indianapolis 500 Elio Castroneves. What an opportunity we have here for the fans, for uh, everyone that is going to, for, for people that love motorsport and uh, it's part of history, you know? So, uh, yes, um, it, it's not hitting me in the point that like, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. No, it's not about that because I know what I got. I know what the team has been working on it. Uh, so I just feel that uh, everyone would love to, uh, to witness uh, like they witnessed last year, which was an amazing part of history. And, uh, and I feel that the, the, the four guy or the three other guys 
that we were discussing at the club. I guarantee they also want to see that too because it'd be so long. In order to put what you have accomplished as an IndyCar driver in its proper context, uh, I have to take you back to what for all of IndyCar Nation was a very, very dark time at the end of the 1999 season. You had just moved up in your second year. You were driving for Carl Hogan's championship auto racing team, and you were told that the team was going to shutter after the final race in uh, California. And then we all know what happened. Uh, the man that Roger Penske had chosen, Greg Moore, met his death in, in an incredibly terrible accident. Oh! Oh, an enormous crash. Oh, my God. A terrible crash. Yellow comes out again. They now report it is Greg Moore. And all of a sudden, someone came knocking at your door, needing to sign you immediately to a contract to arguably at that time, and maybe even now, the first chair in racing, and that is Team Penske. Can you describe to people that didn't know that part of the story, the roller coaster emotions for someone like you? Absolutely. It was a, such a difficult scenario, um, especially me. I'm a Catholic person. I'm not understanding. I was young um, and a lot of a lot of things, uh, you know, question marks. My team was unfortunately Hogan was shutting down at uh, that time. You know, a colleague losing a colleague, a friend of racing. I mean, it, it was all this craziness happening and uh, an interesting you know, talking to Roger years later about that, that decision, because I remember him making a, he said, look, I understand your uh, uh, doubts, but if it's not going to be you, it's going to be someone else. And one of the decisions I made, obviously, is talk, talking to my family, mom and dad. I was like, mom, what do you think? You know, it's like, well, destiny put you here. And then realizing that, and many years later talking to Roger, you know, Roger was, a, a lot of people might not know, but us that would be in the business for a long time know that he was a, a good race car driver before he becoming not only a successful business person but also a team owner um, he he was a good race car driver and one of the tasks that he had to do in Indy 500 or Indianapolis he ended up giving up because he was pursuing his uh, probably career uh, uh, in the business to have a dealership and the guy that jumps in was Mario Andretti I know and look what, yeah. what happens right same thing happened in my case. I have a very tough time in 2009. Uh, the guy that wasn't even driving anymore, Will Power, all of a sudden replaced me in St. Pete. And look what happened, you know. So if you're thinking about example, and I'm sure there was many more drivers that I, um, I, I've heard, but I don't remember as of right now, that went through those processes and those scenarios, uh, similar scenarios. So I, my closure was when I went to Toronto, that I did the pole position and they were giving the Greg Moore award for that pole position. Ironic, I did the pole position and his mom was giving it to me and I was so, you know, disturbed that I didn't know how to react. And she's like, look, young and uh, you're supposed to be here and we're happy you're the one that replaced him. For me, it was um, sort of a closure um, that I'm like, all right, I, I feel that this is my destiny and, um, and look what happened. So <clears throat> you can't, uh, God has a plan. I always said that. Uh, and you just got to trust that uh, sometimes we feel that it's not the right thing, but he knows it's the right thing. We should point out that the cart IRL controversy was at its zenith at the time. 
But then all of a sudden, Roger decides he is going to field an Indy Racing League IRL team for the Indianapolis 500. And you show up at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where I know you've shared this with me before. You watched when MO competed there on Brazilian TV. You actually did some Brazilian commentary promoting the race years leading up to it. But what really startled you and got you really interested in the Indy 500 is when an announcer said, and Emerson Fittipaldi has just won $1 million. Now you're there and you're chasing (laughs) $1.5 million. And you do it in your rookie season. The date of May 27th, 2001 will forever be etched in the memory of Helio Castro Nevis. He has realized the ultimate dream. How did that happen? Well, I was so eager to uh, win an oval race. Um, it wasn't my first race, right? 2001, it was already a 30, 30 year in, in, in IndyCar. And I'm like, I got to win in an oval. I, I, I need mm-hmm. to figure out how to win in an oval. So I, I wasn't thinking about the tradition. I wasn't thinking about the history. I was more thinking about what do I need to figure it out to win a 500 mile. That's all I can say. And I guess that eager, I, I did my homework. I, I, I pushed it, understanding. Back then, we didn't have YouTube, Google. You couldn't figure it out what, uh, how to find out the information from the path. And uh, why not go straight to the source, you know, talking to our senior, John Rutherford, in my case, Rick Mears, that worked with me for so many years. And then talking to them all about it and asking questions finally hit me. So, um, I, and plus, the track, obviously, uh, this place is magical. I mentioned before, and it's true. It's it picks who is going to win the race, and uh, and and that's probably uh, the, the reason uh, I end up winning all these races because I treat this place with respect, and probably it pays that respect back by giving me some great uh, great gifts. Johnny Rutherford has always professed that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and I quote, is a living, breathing organism. You've experienced it for over 20 years, and I would think you have to agree, just as you said, it chooses the winner. The winner doesn't choose winning. Correct, and uh, I'd be part of that uh, myth, let's put it this way. Yeah. This car in the past, um, it was just, you know, I finished second. So it just shows that, uh, yeah, you got to be in the right place at the right time, and uh, hopefully for the best. Well, TK, you've been very fortunate. You've been there for the most part for all of Elio's ups and downs. Uh, And yet you're a member of the club, just like he is. Uh, I have always said, if you win, let's say the GMR Grand Prix, or you win at Long Beach, or you win at Barber, you're an IndyCar winner. If you win at Indy, you're forever known as an IndyCar champion. But my question to you is, based upon what you've seen with Elio and Meyer Shank Racing and the addition of Simon Pagano, by the way, to the team, Elio Castroneves, the drive for five, uh, it's plausible, it's doable, but going and hearkening back to what you uh, shared with us in the first segment, if you're not in those first maybe maxed out three rows, you are rowing against a pretty stiff breeze trying to work yourself to the front. 
Yeah. I mean, let's be realistic. You cannot count Elio out of a race. Never. Right. Right. So on if it's up to Elio, he's more than capable of passing 26 cars and going the race. The issue I see there is you adding 12 very competitive cars that with 20 laps to go, if you're not in the top three, Jack, you're not in this race. And I'm not saying, I'm including myself on it. Yeah. So I, I think his chances are 50-50, to be honest. I hate to say it. I think they, they definitely have a big challenge in their hands starting where they're starting. You know, it's 27th, it's, it's, it's a lot. Things happen pretty quick back there. And it's not about you. It's about all the cars that you can't pass and they're holding you off. And then all of a sudden you see the leaders right behind you. So not impossible. Elio has all the capabilities of doing it, but it's going to be difficult. Well, yesterday you took full advantage uh, of uh, the, the, the practice session, the what I call the final practice session because carb day is a little bit different. And uh, the weather, uh, certainly in conflict with what the weather is being forecasted for race day. So all of a sudden, how important is carb day coming up this Friday? Very important, but it's still not even close because, you know, we're going to have almost 20 degrees difference Oof. between those two days that we have, or the day that we had and the day that we're going to have on Friday up until race day. So hopefully the weather gods are wrong. It might be a little cooler, but Sunday, you're going to need everything in that car and it's still not going to be fun. So not representative at all. It's actually good for your mind that you had a good car, but doesn't mean that's going to happen on, on Sunday. So uh, welcome to the Indy 500. Hey, quick reminder, part of Carb Day festivities, uh, I'll be making my return. No, not on a burrow with palms. I'll be making my return to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as the COVID-enforced uh, exile for two years after logging in 50 consecutive years, Kanan at the Indy 500 and will be part of the Sirius XM special look for us between the Pagoda and the, uh, the press room as uh, we'll be there and uh, bringing in Mario Andretti and a cast of many that are part and parcel to the legacy that is the Indy 500. I know hopefully uh, you'll be stopping by as well. Uh, before, we be wrap thing, before we wrap things up, TK, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say one thing that I think we all are going to have to pay very close attention to that we didn't one year ago, two years ago, five years ago, especially as you're projecting that the temperature is going to be in the mid 80s. That's a lot of sun beaten down on a racetrack that at least since they introduced that penetrant seems to absorb a lot more heat than in the past. I'm sure you and your engineers and your fellow drivers have talked about that, but how does one become proactive enough to compensate for that? You don't. Yeah. Well, you pray that your decisions are right. <laughs> you pray and you pray that the track is okay. I mean, that is, and at the end of the day, Chip's going to say, that's why I pay you guys the big bucks to drive it. So whatever conditions it is, you guys figure out and that's it. Hey, we'll be all over everything leading up to, including the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 right here on Sirius XM radio. 
Many thanks to Mark Miles, Eric Clark, Elio Castro Nevis, and of course, to Dixie himself, Scott Dixon, the pole sitter, and the guy that's starting on the outside of row number two. And when he wins, will be my guest on Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel, my partner in crime, Tony Kanan. Until we see you in person on Carb Day, enjoy the buildup to the greatest spectacle in racing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Satellite Radio. Sirius XM. Satellite Radio.